Lord, uh, we come before you in various states of being scattered. <laughs> Would you gather us, um, turn our hearts towards you, and may your word and your purposes be accomplished in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for being here. Um, and, yeah, we're looking forward to today. So. The last two weeks, just as a recap, um, we were covering um, kind of questions around causes of mental illness. That was week one. And then last week, we really looked at can mental illness exist in Christians? And are faithful Christians able to sort of acknowledge the existence of mental illness? So today, we're going to be sort of presupposing that uh, mental illness <laughs> exists and that Christians can have mental illness. We're going to be looking at what specifically do you do um, yourself or for a friend or family member um, if somebody is struggling with mental illness. So we're going to be going into more specifics in terms of mental health treatment today um, as opposed to kind of covering the more broader theological issues, but we will touch on um, some different questions around faith and mental health, too. So, as always, we really welcome questions, disagreements, um, concerns, and we'd love to hear experiences from you all. Mm-hmm. All right, so maybe we'll, we're going to focus today on kind of three questions, the who, what, when, where, and why of seeking mental health treatment. Um, so we'll try to bring our... Um, professional size in a little bit in terms of offering some input on mental health treatment, um, as well as obviously talking about the faith aspects as well. Um, so Stephanie, do you want to start us off with uh, starting us off with the who? Yeah, yeah. So in terms of like who does professional mental health treatment, um, kind of like the two big categories are therapists and medication management helpers. And so in terms of therapists, Elena can talk a little bit about what kind of training goes into that. In terms of medications, these are generally MDs, APRNs. They can be DOs as well. They're people who've kind of had a little bit more of the biology training in order to kind of differentiate, you know, where are, you know, in terms of the mind-body connection, where depression might manifest as lethargy or tiredness or trouble eating. Is it something related to a thyroid hormone? Is it a vitamin deficiency? And so having a little bit of training around how that integrates into the physical body is part of um, the work of an MD. Um, Some of the medication providers will also do therapy. And so a therapist can have like any number of credentials, but just kind of depending on the practice, that would be something important to know, Um, you know, whether they concentrate mostly on medications for mental health conditions or whether they also integrate um, therapy into it. So sometimes people have split treatment where they have, you know, one person doing the therapy, one person doing medication management. Um, But sometimes, and this will usually be in private practice, uh, where they integrate both with with that piece, but if you want to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so in terms of therapists, like, if you're, I think this is going to be an overwhelming process. If you're like, I need therapy, I know I need to talk to someone, how do I possibly find who I should talk to? Um, And that's that's really overwhelming, and I say that as a therapist, I think it's really overwhelming to navigate the system. So a few 
we're kind of get to the, the general professional side and then the Christian side. So um, in terms of therapists, a lot of people online can sometimes call themselves therapists or counselors or that type of thing. It's important to make sure somebody's licensed if you're looking for a professional mental health treatment. There's um, like life coaches and um, different people who might have like the term counselor or coach or something like that who don't actually have a professional mental health license. So you'll want to look and somebody online, their profile should list like I'm a licensed social worker, psychologist, or um, you know, clinical mental health counselor in the state of Connecticut, or they should be in the process of obtaining licensure, which means they're still working toward their hours, but they're under supervision of somebody who is licensed. And, and that's fine too. But sometimes I think I, I look at certain online profiles and I'm like, oh, this person's marketing themselves as a therapist, but they they might not be a bad person to talk to for some things, but they haven't actually obtained a professional licensure to be a therapist. So it's important to note that. Um, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but um, there is a, a category of biblical counselors. Um, and we'll, we're going to talk a little bit about that in terms of differences between biblical counselors and professional mental health mental health professionals. Um, but biblical counselors are not usually licensed therapists. I suppose they're somebody could be double, have a double sort of um, degree, but biblical counselors are sort of a separate category. They have not received professional mental health training. Um, so in terms of who do you look for, um, I think it's really important, and we're going to talk about, like, do you need to see a Christian? And we'd love to hear kind of everybody's perspectives about that. But finding somebody that you trust is really good and finding somebody who, who just feels like a good fit. And I usually tell people like, <clears throat> if you've gone to see somebody three times and after the third time you're like, mm, I think that's a pretty good sign that, that you can look elsewhere. Um, Cause if you're really opening up about really vulnerable things, it's important to feel like the person understands you, you can trust them. Um, sometimes after the first time, especially if it's your first time going to therapy, it might feel so weird that you might not necessarily feel connected to that person right away. But three times I think is usually enough to have a, like, a gut feeling of like, is this good or not good? Um, it's also great to get referrals from friends or our um, elders to make professional mental health referrals. So if you can get a recommendation like, oh, someone I know saw so and so. That can be nice just to have a little bit of a personal connection. Um, so, yep, yeah, those, are, those are a few notes. Anything you'd add to that, Stephanie? No, I think, um, and we can talk a little bit more as we segue into kind of something we've heard often is, you know, does my therapist or psychiatrist need to be a Christian in order to really kind of understand that. And I think we've we talked about this a little bit and we landed on, you know, it could be helpful, but I think that it, depending on kind of what that topic might look like, but really that idea of, you know, opening yourself up, do you feel like this person is trustworthy and competent? Um, those are probably going to be more important. Um, and other factors such as like if they take your insurance, if they're geographically located, um, if they don't take insurance, are they affordable in some way? Um, those might be more salient factors than is this person a Christian. And I think I would also note that even if someone is saying like, oh, I'm a Christian therapist or psychiatrist, right, that that spectrum of Christian beliefs is so big as well that 
even if they're saying that they're Christian, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they hold the exact same beliefs, core beliefs as you and the sense of the world. And so even, even figuring out kind of where they might be and how that translates into the therapy process um, is something that shouldn't be assumed. Um, <clears throat> Biblical counseling and Christian counseling interchangeably, or are there two distinctions? Mm, two distinctions. Okay. So, biblical counseling. Um, and we'll talk about that. We, we might say biblical counseling for our, our next section, but biblical counseling is um, folks who are not trained mental health professionals, like they don't have graduate level training in mental health treatment, um, but they've gone through a program for biblical counseling, which is um, really the process of using prayer and scripture exclusively to treat um, mental illness or mental health diagnoses versus a Christian counselor, usually a Christian therapist, will be a Christian and perhaps bring in prayer or other sort of um, biblical principles or things like that, but they're also employing psychological treatments that are sort of more broadly used. Um, So I'm curious, so yeah, Stephanie and I had some different ideas around when is it helpful that you probably should see a Christian? When is it more important to see someone who you know, is competent in your area that you're seeking treatment for. And there's a lot there's a lot to be said about that, but I'd love to hear from people just as you think about seeking mental health treatment therapist, like how important does it feel to you that they're a Christian and or not? And what have been your experiences with that either way? We'd love to hear. Either yours or people that you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, for me as a person that like been recently trying to seek that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's been harder for me trying to seek out a Christian um, therapist, mm-hmm. counselor, or anything, because I feel like in a lot of different ways, especially in the area that I live in, like I'm surrounded by therapists that don't look like me or don't understand like mm-hmm. where I'm coming from. It's <clears throat> like mm-hmm. sometimes struggling mentally in a like my day-to-day life or like Christian life it, it's like it, it it just seems so complicated to talk to mm-hmm. certain type of people so sometimes like yeah I think that's like the best thing for me mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. yeah it's like other aspects of identity mm-hmm. can matter too mm-hmm. yeah for mm-hmm. sure for sure absolutely yeah yeah how about other people who feel it's important to see a Christian or maybe hasn't been pros and cons. I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how, tell, yeah. Say more. Tell what, more. What has been, yeah, what has been helpful for you about seeing a Christian? Same beliefs, mm-hmm. based on what God teaches us in the Bible, mm-hmm. how to treat each other and how to deal with mm-hmm. issues and problems. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Because yeah. Um, non-Christians might not have, they probably don't have the same values and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is where we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, if you can't find a Christian therapist, um, that maybe it could be enough that they're faith affirming, right? And so that they're not trying to, you know, impose any sort of their beliefs or worldviews on you, but really trying to work within your framework of understanding and how you feel, um, you know, your goals are influenced by Christianity. And so I think that there's a difference between 
you know, a therapist who's kind of maybe actively telling you some of the things that you're bringing into the room are not helpful and kind of dismissing it versus somebody who is genuinely curious about, you know, what, what matters to you and how can we work around this issue so that what matters to you gets accomplished. Um, and I think also just kind of even within Connecticut, it may not even be an option to see a Christian psychologist or um, therapist because uh, they are few and far between. And so I think having somebody who is faith affirming or at least open and not trying to kind of tell you it doesn't matter would be an appropriate place to go. Mm-hmm. So, so with that, like, when we get like stuck in that, um, that group of them telling us all the things that we need, like, like want to hear, versus some of the hard things that we need to hear, mm-hmm. so just like that's why I don't mm-hmm. understand, like, you know, like, how do I could like the same thing as have to we have to be dealing with Christian people in order to talk about our struggles and mental health and like all these other issues we have. Like people outside of our circle can't give us advice or feedback on like the good of the world and stuff. They don't believe or what we believe, but how do we even know what they believe until like we get to know them and their job is not to allow us to get to know them or get like that more so. Mm-hmm. for them to help us understand us. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. I, a couple thoughts, you know, kind of along those lines of like, when do you, when is it most helpful to seek out a Christian versus maybe when is it not something absolutely necessary? I think, so for instance, like if your mental health concerns are very sort of interwoven with spiritual concerns as well so perhaps maybe if you've experienced spiritual abuse and um or abuse in a church context and your your mental health is very much tied with like trying to find a way forward in your faith despite having experienced spiritual abuse for me that would be harder for me to see not a christian for that personally right because it's like oh i really want someone to help me find a way forward in my faith like in my, myself personally, I've seen a few therapists. I think two are Christians and one is not. And I've had a really good experience with my current therapist who's not a Christian. But I've had a different kind of really valuable experience with therapists who are Christians. I think just depending on kind of what you're looking for. So if you know if there's this spiritual abuse issue, wanting to understand how depression and faith go together, a Christian therapist is probably best for that if you can find one. If it's like, for example, you're dealing with a tick disorder and you need a very specific form of treatment, um, it's called habit reversal training, like to help you not sort of prevent verbal or motor tics, it might be nice to see a Christian for that, right? Like, I would, all things being equal, I would probably always rather see a Christian who had equal competency um, to uh, somebody who's not a Christian. At the same time, if there's no Christian therapist who specializes in tick disorder treatment, and there's a non-Christian therapist who does, who, um, you yes, our tick disorder is like involuntary noises or movements um, that sometimes people can engage in. Um, 
and there's somebody who has that special area of competency who's not a Christian, who's still open to and receptive to you talking about your beliefs. In that case, I'd say, hey, it might be a good idea to seek the treatment from somebody with that specific expertise. Obviously, there's a lot of gray areas in there. Anxiety, depression can sometimes have an aspect of faith, but it's there's also aspects that are not about faith. And so I think it really, yeah, I think it depends on kind of the amount of specialty that you need in a provider. And like Stephanie was saying, unfortunately, Connecticut is not abundant with Christian therapists in general, especially those who have openings. Um, so we, um, which is a problem. Like I, I've never lived in a state where it's such a problem. Um, it's really hard. So I think, you know, keeping in mind, like, um, I think the idea of common grace, like that God has, provided knowledge and resources and training um, to many people who could be helpful and may or may not be as helpful as a Christian therapist for certain things, but also could have specialized areas of competency, even if they're not Christians. Um, Yeah, anything you would add to that, Stephanie? Mm -hmm. I think on the medication piece, I think it's like just easy, a little bit easier to draw the comparison to like, do we need a... Christian primary care doctor? Do we need a Christian OB-GYN who has all the same values around like when does life start, right? And you may have different views on that, but I would say the majority of people who are able to find a primary care doctor that they can click with or an OB-GYN who is competent to perform a C-section, like they kind of are able to work with you around that. And so um, again, just trying to think about, you know, mental illness is different in some ways, but in a lot, you know, there's a lot of overlap too with kind of how it manifests in the body and how do we choose our primary care doctors, right? And we think about other factors. Um, So it's just kind of sometimes helpful to think about how do we treat other medical professionals as well and what do we expect of them? I think psychiatric or mental health problems are different because they deal with our mind and thinking and our yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I would, yeah. And I would say, like, this is where we try to balance a little bit about this, the sense of, like, the brain is an organ, too, right? It's a <laughs> physical thing <laughs> that also can fail us in the ways that our hearts can fail us um, and our livers can fail us. And so there is something about medical care kind of bringing it back up to a working state that is very similar to, um, you know, my liver is failing and I need to talk to somebody about what I can do to prevent further damage. How can I kind of live with this as a chronic condition, right? I think that that is true for a lot of mental health conditions as well. And then I, I agree that I think that there is a certain vulnerability to talking about the past and the emotions and how we're dealing with that, that can, that is a, that is a little separate from, um, just a very straightforward, like procedure kind of a thing. But I would say, you know, in areas of an eating disorder where your electrolytes are out of balance and your heart is at risk or where somebody is psychotic and it's due to in part to a dopamine imbalance or there's somebody who, yeah, exactly. But you know, how do drugs affect our bodies, where are the damage, you know, where are the effects, that kind of a thing. I think that there is, there is still kind of more clear biological 
reasons. And in that case, somebody with a biological training can be helpful. Um, and I don't, and it's a really hard balance. I think you're right that it's, you know, we tended towards like a very materialist view sometimes, you know, in, in secular culture of, you know, mental health is just neurotransmitters kind of running amok or it's just like neural circuitry kind of a thing versus maybe sometimes over-spiritualizing, you know, some of the depression and anxiety. But I think we're really trying to find kind of that balance of how do we integrate both because it is really a combination of both. And our problem with psychiatric mental health disorders is that our brain is enclosed in our cranium and we can't visualize it. Like mm-hmm. Other parts of our body, we can mm-hmm. do the x-ray, cat, <coughs> MRI, etc., etc. All this testing, we're actually looking at the organs. Mm-hmm. It's not that easy with the brain. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, and that's why it is so hard to comprehend. Right. I think that kind of that overlap of neurology and psychiatry is sometimes tricky. But where you know scans are able to tell us, oh, here's a tumor that's causing you, you know, damage, versus oh, here are these things, you know, hormones and neurotransmitters. It's it's a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. So it's easier for therapy, you can go in there and do surgery or whatever you need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. an ablation and in the brain, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can't yeah. do that. It's yeah. challenging. Or they used to, and it did not turn out so well. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, they used to do surgery for kind of rich, like, you know, like that could not be treated, you know, mental health conditions. And, yeah. and I, just you had a, I think you had a question too, or did you say hand um, raise, or a comment? Yeah, I had a comment. Yeah, I was going to speak to the vulnerability. I think it's, you know, when I break my arm, I don't mind someone looking at it, mm-hmm. sharing that, but when, if, if someone has a something more personal or more mm-hmm. mental mm-hmm. going on. I think there's a big vulnerability aspect and mm-hmm. treatment is not it's not that simple and it doesn't always make sense to us and mm-hmm. really you know, we get kind of caught in our own mental fog because mm-hmm. you know, broken arm. I can trust almost anybody mm-hmm. in a scrub outfit for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but other issues Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think kind of to what Stephanie was saying, mm-hmm. for different people, the medication prescribing piece could be different from the therapy piece. For me personally, I'm more comfortable seeing somebody, like medication prescribers usually see like once a month or once every few weeks. I'm more comfortable, and you don't go super in depth. It's more about side effects and kind of like for, for some medication prescribers. So that doesn't feel as important to me if they're a Christian versus therapy an hour a week really diving into your trauma and your life history and your emotions that might be more important to see a Christian for many people right so it can kind of vary based on the level and that like what you're looking for yeah if you're looking for medications or therapy but that's a great point yeah I think it's also helpful to recognize the wide spectrum of self-identified Christians. Uh, like Stephanie was saying. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you could go to a Christian therapist and still be like, oh, like this person does, you know, uh, is not on the same level in terms of thinking about God and holiness. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's true. I used to, used to drive to Hartford to see a, a Christian therapist who ended up Wanting to realign my heart chakra. Right. <laughs> 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 yeah, I've, 
I've, uh, th there's, yeah, there's a lot. And so you can't kind of tell from somebody's website profile all the time, like what Christian means. And so that's why often asking the elders, asking a friend for a Christian therapist recommendation, good. Uh, yeah. How often or how likely is it that you can, in your first session, ask, like spend time asking them about yeah. I think you definitely can. They people have different comfort levels on what they're willing to answer, depending on their style and kind of their training and things like that. But especially if you told them, hey, it's important that somebody is like understanding my beliefs and that's why I'm asking. I feel like most people would really want to work with you on that, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think it depends on kind of what type of therapy they're trying to do, right? So again, if it's like very behavioral mm -hmm. focus learning skills, they probably are happy to tell you their credentials and kind of where they're coming from and their philosophy around it. But if somebody's like, hey, how many kids do you have? And like, where do you live? Like, that, uh, might, <laughs> that might come off a little, a little differently. <laughs> but you yeah. can ask and it's up to them to say, yeah. oh, I answer this and that. So you can ask whatever you want right, and they, right, can, right. they can answer. Yeah, Carolyn. Um, how do you guys think about it? Because you both are Christians who mm. are therapists but wouldn't necessarily be, promote yourselves as Christian therapists mm, yeah. in your work environment. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, so we, we work with um, a wide variety of students, mostly students who aren't Christians. And so I'm, I'm really, like, I never hide it, right? Like, I'm never trying to hide anything. And if somebody asks, I'll absolutely tell them. And I think it's pretty widely known mm -hmm. at our, in our setting that we are Christians. Mm -hmm. um, but if somebody is not a Christian, and that's, they're not coming in for Christian concerns, it might not be relevant for me to share that. Mm -hmm. You know, probably won't be yeah. helpful for them in that moment. But I also don't, like, keep it a secret. Yeah. Um, I think it's tricky in terms of kind of as a culture, we are shifting towards, you know, like what are our identities, our various identities, and really wanting a match in terms of identities. What, you know, race, gender, orientation, religion, that kind of a thing. And so sometimes it just isn't possible. Um, but sometimes we do get like, quote unquote, matched. And, and I think it is actually interesting that like most of the people, at least in my experience, who, who are even asking for a quote unquote Christian therapist when they talk about the things that are bringing them in, um, it may, just, it, it may be more that they just want somebody who's not going to judge them, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. who's not going to say, oh, your belief in God is so infantile mm -hmm. versus, like, here is my thing that I'm dealing with, that that I'm wrestling with the Lord mm -hmm. that really needs, like, biblical, you know, biblical mm -hmm. advice to weigh on, right? And so I think a lot of that desire is around, like, which is common to all of us, right, is can you understand me? Can you respect me? Mm -hmm. um, and so, again, I think that that's kind of the more salient factors when we are limited, you know, the side of heaven with who is available and who can see us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a question. Kind yeah. of a generalized question. It's not a criticism. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. In general, psychologists mm -hmm. like you, how much do they understand, like, the pharmacology involved, like, the, mm. the different antidepressants like benzodiazepines and SS? RIs, SNRIs, mm. tricyclic antidepressants. Do most psychologists understand that? And are they I wouldn't say so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, yeah, which is definitely good to, I mean, I have a general idea, especially more SSRIs, because that's, you know, um, 
I, I, I hear about them more anecdotally um, and take them. <laughs> but, but um, you know, I think it's important to consider somebody's like degree specialty really for, for what you're going for. So if you are wanting medication advice, if your psychologist is giving you medication advice, that's a red flag actually because like yeah. um, somebody should really have the degree training like Stephanie to be able to weigh in on that. And so sometimes people try to kind of get outside of their area of expertise and <laughs> weigh in on what you, it's appropriate for your therapist to say, hey, I would really encourage you to take medication. That's appropriate. Or at least get a medication consultation. To get a consultation, mm-hmm. exactly. But it wouldn't be appropriate for them to say, I think you should consider it. No, yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. There were, and right. And I think again it speaks to the brokenness of the mental health care system because there is such a shortage of like medication mental health medication providers that PC like primary care doctors are often doing the medication piece and there was a there was like a movement around um, which, which is not to say that PCPs can't do a good job but just there is not somebody who necessarily has that specialized training and also there was a movement in Connecticut to allow psychologists to go through some training to prescribe medications and um, that may happen but but psychologists to prescribe medication um, because that would at least widen the group of people who can who can help with that piece Um, but I think there were enough concerns raised at least in this moment to kind of put a pause on that yeah some psychologists wouldn't well, there's so much, so much good discussion. Maybe we should move on to the what. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we would love to hear other comments too, as we have time at the end about whether or not to see a Christian, when to see a Christian or not. There's a lot to think about there. Um, so, in terms of the what is therapy, I mean, I think this is not necessarily always obvious, right? Especially if you haven't been to therapy. Like, when you go, what exactly do you do? Like, what what can you expect? What can you not expect? So there are different types of therapies. Generally, individual therapy, you're sitting down one-on-one with a professional talking about what's bothering you, and they're helping you relieve your symptoms. But that can look so many different ways, of course. And so a very general sketch um, of of what things could look like. Um, One form of therapy is called CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Um, This really lends itself well to anxiety disorders. Um, It's especially commonly used for anxiety disorders, often for depression, usually used for OCD in some capacity. Um, So this type of therapy is really focused on helping change your thoughts and how helping change your thoughts can help you feel better. So for example, um, let's say somebody has really severe test anxiety, like a student has bad test anxiety. Every night before tests, they're throwing up, they can't sleep, they can't function the the day before because they're convinced they're going to fail, even though they've never failed a test before. That person would be a really, really good candidate for CBT because the therapist would say, hey, like, let's kind of examine the facts. Like, you've never... You've never failed a test before. It's unlikely that you're going to fail it this time. Obviously, it's a little bit more in-depth than that, but that's kind of the general approach is helping them change their thoughts and beliefs um, and helping them think more sort of realistically and less self-critically. So I think CBT often can feel pretty comfortable for Christians because it it does align with our um, 
as Christians, our belief in right thinking and right beliefs. So even Stephanie pointed out this verse um, when, when the psalmist is asking, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So this person is kind of doing CBT on himself right here. He's saying, why are you so downcast? Remember these things. Remember these truths. And in that's oversimplified, but that's generally what CBT is, is trying to do. Um, CBT is often usually more time limited, so it's it can be like... 10 sessions, um, and it's more targeted. Um, so that is, that is one form of treatment that's what out there. Um, basically, so um, like if I'm talking with Stephanie and I'm the therapist, and Stephanie's coming in and saying, hey, I'm really anxious about what people are thinking about me. I can't get it out of my head what people are thinking about me. Then I would talk to Stephanie and say, okay, let's like write down your thoughts. So I would have Stephanie keep track of her thoughts throughout the day, like, She'll say like, oh, I think somebody hates me. I think I'm a bad friend. Somebody's mad at me. She'd write down the thoughts. Then she would bring it back to session. This is, this is what might happen. And then I might say, okay, let's go through these. Like, do you think that's true? What alternatives to that might there be? What are you believing about yourself that might not be true? If I was a Christian CBT therapist, I might say, what, what is God? What, what, what might God say that might be different from what, what you're saying? Um, and, it, and I think there's a lot around CBT of just even... So sometimes people are like, oh, I, I just feel really tense in my body. I feel really anxious. I can't mm-hmm. sleep. You know, they've kind of gotten all the medical piece checked out, but they're not aware of kind of what are the thoughts and circumstances that are bringing out that tenseness or inability to sleep. So I think part of therapy is even learning how do we monitor the thoughts that are going through our head, where are we noticing that we're getting really upset, right? Um, you know, and so learning how to pay attention to our thoughts is kind of that first step. And then like Alina was saying, really questioning ourselves a little bit, like, oh, like even if this feels really true, you know, my friend didn't respond to a text message for a couple hours, they must be really mad at me. And even if that feels true, is there a way I can talk back to myself, ask myself like, okay, you know, is it possible my friend kind of got busy and forgot to respond and they'll respond later? Is it possible that maybe their phone broke or something like that, right? So again, taking a step back, differentiating between like what that automatic way of assuming somebody's mad at us or not liking us and being able to question, well, what evidence do I have for this or against this and is there a slight possibility it's not so personal as, oh, my friend deliberately is ignoring me because I did something wrong to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I think I'm familiar with CBT. Um, so is it the form of, like, stop thinking that? Right? Uh-huh. Also, like, kind of, yeah. Yeah. So, I th- like, mm-hmm. So I th- think the idea of, like, kind of stopping in that moment to notice what's happening and then thinking, you know, kind of paying attention to what are our thoughts in that moment? And is there a different way to think about it? And is there maybe a different way to act around it? Mm-hmm. Might be kind of is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like, it, would, it was introduced to me, like, um, in, in school. Mm-hmm. Not like I went to school for it, but like. <laughs> uh, uh, uh-huh. We had a group called to uh, 
private school in Arizona that was like huh. not a Christian based school, bitch, but it was like yeah, very intense. Oh. But it's like it was introduced to us as like um, from acting on impulse and stuff like that, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. card stuff, right? Like role playing, like yep, yep, yep. Now thinking, writing, yeah, but but mostly like. Yeah, and I and I think it speaks to kind of like how in the moment when our feelings can feel just very overwhelming, we're just kind of in that mental fog, right? Is there a way to take a step back from that, calm our bodies down a little bit, so that the part of our brain that's like fight or flight isn't just kind of blaring, mm -hmm. um, and be able to kind of make choices that are more helpful to kind of our goals in life. Um, Stephanie can talk a little bit about um, psychodynamic treatment. <laughs> so, so I would say like in terms of therapy, right, like Elaine is talking about skills-based, targeted sort of treatment, and that's one big category. And the other is a little bit more process-oriented. And so kind of that question of, you know, how much is a therapist going to disclose to you? Like, like here it might be where the therapist is, what you're bringing into the room is what we're working with. And so they might be a little less inclined to tell you like all about themselves because they don't want that to get in the way of focusing on kind of what you're working through. And so psychodynamic psychotherapy, you know, might be kind of where Christians get a little like eh, about it because it's associated with Freud, who said a lot of different things. <laughs> um, and and I, I would say, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater with this one, because I do think that there is a lot of wisdom in this type of therapy, which is really about acknowledging the conflicts and emotions and desires we might have, how those might be unconscious and instead kind of acted out in different ways. And when we bring it into awareness, um, how do we make choices about it, right? Because I think it's hard to make good choices about how we're acting if we're not even sure what is the thing underneath that's driving it. Um, and so it might be, for example, right, like a mother going to therapy saying, you know, I really love my child, but also like, I kind of hate my child sometimes, right? Or it's like really hard to be a caregiver for somebody who is really debilitated. Like I want to help them, but also I just want to do my own thing and be independent. And I think sometimes that can feel threatening to us as Christians because we want to be pure and holy and blameless before the Lord. But I would also question like, are we thinking that God can't handle the spectrum of emotions and the complexity of emotions that we bring before him? Um, and that there is a way in which when we're able to acknowledge these desires and conflicts um, that were, again, you know, we're not just talking to the therapist, but also realizing, like, bringing this before the Lord and, su and submitting this to him and saying, like, yeah, I really desire to be a better mother or a better spouse. And also, I have all of these other desires. So, like, Lord, this is something we're going to have to work on together, right? This is about inviting the Lord into the specifics of our situation rather than holding our desires at arm's length and like kind of denying and being like, oh, no, no, no. Like, I really love being a mother 100% of the time, <laughs> you know? And so mm -hmm. I think there is something about understanding the specificity of our wounds that allows Jesus to speak about who he is specifically in a way that is really beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and so, that you know, we, we kind of came up with a vignette together of, you know, maybe there's a person who growing up 
you know, their parents had really high expectations for them and nothing was ever good enough, you know. And then they, you know, did decently in life, but also kind of struggled with a sense of never being good enough, feeling inferior. And so they start feeling depressed or really anxious if they fail a test or whatever. They go to therapy, they're working through what it means that their family of origin, you know, maybe never outwardly abused them, but also emotionally weren't really there for them. And so what does, you know, that's part of the work of therapy. And then maybe as a Christian, it's also being able to receive from the Lord that he is our Abba Father, that he delights in us, that we are his beloved, right? And that might be different than somebody who is working through in therapy, somebody whose parents really did like physically abuse them. And there's a lot of trauma to unpack around that. And maybe in that case, bringing that hurt before the Lord looks like really resting in God as a refuge and a stronghold and a protector, right? And so there are these kind of like beautiful images in the Bible that that speak to all these different aspects of who God is that I think therapy can help us kind of uncover like what is it that we are struggling with that maybe the Lord can speak to specifically in a, you know, a verse or a picture or a promise that helps us. Um, so, so that's kind of the, you know, where I, I would say like the process, you know, and then maybe you're, you're really angry at your therapist for canceling on you last minute. Right. And so again, like that's part of the process of like, Oh, well, when you, canceled on me and made me feel like I wasn't important. And that's something I've struggled with. That's a specific wound, right? And so I think, again, just kind of maybe we talked a little bit about last week, right? We tend to kind of gloss over the hard parts, right? Because we're like, Jesus covers everything. And um, But I I would kind of push back a little and say, you know, I think that we we should probably understand ourselves a little bit better and the things that we're struggling with in order to be able to invite Jesus to to speak to that. So we'll run through a couple other forms of treatment, and then we'd love to hear questions or comments, too. So um, DBT, um, dialectical behavioral therapy, is kind of like CBT, but it's more based on behavior change. So this kind of therapy is really good for a lot of things, but especially people who are in crisis of some kind, like perhaps they're dealing with self-harm urges. Um, And this therapy really teaches specific behaviors to deal with crisis. Um, So for instance, um, let's say there's somebody who is really feeling like rejected by other people and rejected by friends. And they look on Instagram and see everyone going to parties, they feel really left out and really worthless. And they might experience urges to cut or injure themselves or other forms of self-harm. So dialectical behavior therapy would teach this person skills to avoid that acting on that urge. So that might be like, okay, dip your face into cold water, or it could be like deep breathing or intensely exercising or all of which are to like activate kind of a different Uh, part of our bodies. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I would say for most people, there is a need to then also process at some point in time. Like, why do you feel worthless? Like, why do you, why are you going on Instagram? You know, some of these other questions, but it's really hard to process deeper issues. If you're feeling an intense bodily urge to like self harm or, some of the panic or some of these other things. So DBT can really help with those behaviors. Um, EMDR, maybe some of you have heard of. Um, This is a specific form of trauma processing. Um, So it involves um, kind of 
talking through verbally talking through a traumatic memory um, and then the, the therapist uses kind of different techniques to help your body um, respond differently and kind of calm your calm your nervous system so oftentimes if we've experienced a traumatic incident even years 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 in the past our body and our emotions still respond to that incident even years later so the passage of time doesn't like decrease the intensity of that response on its own and so emdr can help retrain basically your your emotions um it's called EMDR, and that stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Um, and certain people are trained in this. Um, I am personally not, so I don't know a ton, a ton about it, but it is something out there. Um, yeah, do you want to cover some of the, the medication? Yeah, um, this is a huge area, and I don't, I don't know that we necessarily need to get into the specifics, but I think around kind of what are medications and also within the field of psychiatry, there's an interventional arm. So if you've ever heard of electroconvulsive therapy or transcranial magnetic stimulation, TMS, those are all things that are possible interventions to help when um, therapy alone, you know, is not helping to the extent that the person is able to function. And so, again, lots of different classes of medications. I mean, I hold it, you know, with humility, knowing that these are not like the most fine-tuned, precise things, and there are pros and cons, and we are still learning so much about it. And um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to say about it, but I would say like for people who need it, it has been well tolerated it's been safe it doesn't make you into a zombie who's like all of a sudden praising jesus all the time but it's really providing a floor so that you're able to make use of therapy um and again kind of that illustration of you know if you're in crisis and you feel like you're drowning you do need to learn how to swim eventually you also need to like hold on to a life raft to get your head above water um so not a magic pill should be done in conjunction with therapy really about kind of giving us some mental space to be able to process because sometimes we're just so overwhelmed by all the things that are happening that the part of our brain that is able to think a little more rationally and make good choices is just not able to be accessed. Um, and then a separate category for you know people are, who are hearing voices, seeing things, believing the government is out to get them, um, really struggling around like, not sleeping for long periods of times and doing all sorts of things that I would say, like, I do feel pretty strongly that those can be really helpful tools. Again, not without pros and cons and talking about, you know, what that person's feelings about the medications might mean. Like, what does it mean that you have to use medication or might, you know, are even coming to talk to me. Um, but where we've really seen people be able to live lives that are a little more flourishing than it would have been without the medications. I'm in the medical field that are on um, chronic long-term like SSRIs and all. Mm-hmm. It's like years down the road, they still have the same diagnosis. They're still taking the same meds. As my understanding correct, it just keeps the illness, say anxiety, from getting worse. I would, you know, I think it depends on the diagnosis that somebody might be experiencing. So. Personally, I take a medication I have for several years because the nature of kind of what I experience is 
it, it doesn't ever sort of like go, it doesn't go away. Even with therapy, it doesn't sort of, um, you know, it's sort of always there sort of in my brain. So medication keeps me sort of being able to like live a more flourishing life. And it, it isn't that like therapy doesn't help. It's just that that's an aspect of um, my my OCD that my brain kind of really needs to be able to sort of tolerate that well. But even sort of a personal experience, like I was really resistant even to taking medication. I remember my therapist had to like talk me into it um, at a point in time. And I, I think I felt like it was giving up or something or like uh, that I wasn't working hard enough or that I like, um, should be doing more or I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't doing something right to need it. And then I started and I was like, oh, this doesn't change me into a fundamentally different person. This just makes things a lot easier for me, honestly. It makes it easier to engage in therapy and work and, you know, everything else. And so I think some people might need a more short course of medication, like maybe they need it for a year to be able to get through a difficult time. Some people, depending on the nature of their diagnosis, um, for example, like bipolar disorder, psychosis, um, like OCD or some forms of depression, things like that, people just generally might need it for a long time. And that doesn't mean that they're not working hard. It just means that like their brain really can't function well without, um, or as well without that medication. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think the tricky part too is like we use the word depression as if it were like one thing when really I think it's tens of different things, right? That somebody who's depressed because they're going through a hard time is different than a person who's been kind of feeling sad and moody and irritable ever since childhood, right? And so there are there are so many different things. And so when we talk about like what is needed for a person, it really is on a case-by-case basis. And I would also say that, again, you know, if we think about, if we draw the comparison to medical illnesses, somebody who has high blood pressure some people might be able to manage by exercising and having a good diet and lowering their salt intake. Some people need blood pressure medications to lower that, and some people might need that for a lifetime, right? And again, there's so, like most of medicine is, us- I mean, I, I would say that it, a lot of it is chronic conditions, right? And so um, I, I definitely agree that there are probably, some of my work is taking people off medications, right? Because I do think there is, definitely something to be said about over prescribing and I you know when it's appropriate I do take people off medications again just trying not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. that like there is a lot about our health both physical and mental health wise that tends to be chronic and needs kind of chronic support around that yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if you could explain something called I'm not sure the terminology response Oh, yeah. So that's a exposure, exposure and response prevention. It's a form of CBT. So if somebody's experiencing anxiety disorder, um, it helps somebody desensitize to their fear. So let's say somebody's really scared of mice, for instance, and can't even step into an old house because they're fear of seeing a mouse, they might start by looking at pictures of a mouse and tolerating that level of anxiety. Then they might go to a pet store and see a mouse through a cage and tolerate that level of anxiety and then finally get within 10 feet, you know, and kind of so on and so forth. Um, So good question. Does anyone else have thoughts about, yeah, medication, Christians taking medication? Yeah. So there's a movie, I haven't seen it in a couple years, but it's called Beautiful Mind. And I think it... It's a good movie. Well, it tells the story of uh, John Nash. I think he's a really t- 
talented mathematician, but he struggled with kind of uh, schizophrenic, hallucinations, things like that. And when he stopped taking his medications, um, he really couldn't tell that he was having these hallucinations or that anything was going on. Hmm. It just, he couldn't distinguish real and not real. And then on the medication, it's not that they went away. It's not that he didn't have these, they were like people in the movie. It's not that he didn't have them, but he could tell that they were hallucinations. Hmm. So it does a really good picture of painting the people instead of being in his house or in his car, of them being in the distance. So hmm. he's still working at the university, but they're not in his classroom. They're not sitting in the chairs. They're in the background, and they just kind of loom there. And I think that paints a really good picture of he's not, he's not going to be better. He needs that medication long term, and they're still going to linger there. But he's so much more functional, and he has a grasp of reality, rather than being caught up with those those characters. And the, the movie does a good job making them characters. Mm -hmm. um, so good movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great illustration. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. Should we look at medication? It's like a, um, maintenance. I have hypertension, high blood pressure. I've been on two different classes of drugs mm -hmm. for years. My blood pressure is under good control. Mm -hmm. And probably if I didn't take them, it may shoot up and exactly. have a risk of yeah. stroke or a heart attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is it kind of the same with mm -hmm. the psychiatric meds? Like, I think, like, right, exactly, yeah, so so much of what is common for our bodies is chronic, and I, I would say there is a decent subset of people for whom I would say that is appropriate, mm -hmm. and I would say it's always worth, you know, if they're young, and a number, you know, and I would say it's, depending on the person, sometimes it is worth trying to take them off and see how things go, and then it's not a terrible thing to, like, kind of put them back on it um, and that gives us a little bit more information so it might be like you know you try to come off your blood pressure medication and you're still doing the right things but your blood pressure is still like sky high you, it gives you more information you need to get back on it um, and then there are some people who take it for a, a period of time and again these are not like you know these are medications that take like six to twelve weeks to even consider it a full trial right and so it does take time and so um, for some people, they may be able to get through a hard circumstance with the help of a medication, learn some skills in therapy, and then when things are in a more stable place, they're able to try to come off it. But I'm just saying, like, I guess maybe the point is that everybody's so different, right? So for somebody to be like, oh, like, what's wrong with you? That, like, your gout is not under control, right? <laughs> you know, and you still need to take allopurinol, like, I think is, is, a little, is to be a little bit not acknowledging that for some people it, it can be chronic. Yeah. I have a question. Um, so, you know, from listening to the conversation so far, there's a lot of, seems like there's a lot of reluctance to deal with a mental illness. And, uh, hmm. and I'm an internist, I do a lot of psychiatry also. And I see that in my practice. Hmm. I mean, uh, so it's one of those things that, how much of it do you think is pride? And is that a set when you say, ah, oh, you know, mental illness, I can handle myself. But oh. I have a heart attack. I'm not. I'm gonna try to handle it myself. Uh, <laughs> or you might. <laughs> Actually, no. <laughs> you might. That's a good question. I mean, I don't feel like I could speak to each person's heart, right? Like, only one person. Each person knows before God. Only God knows, like, the reasons why they may or may not be seeking mental health care. Maybe they've had terrible experience with therapy in the past, and so they're hesitant. And I can't blame them, right? Like for being hesitant. But yeah, I, I do sometimes think that like 
maybe especially as Christians, we're slow to admit areas that we need help with mentally or emotionally because that feels especially um, vulnerable or weak or mm-hmm. embarrassing or you know isn't part as much of what we talk about. So I think that there could be an element of pride, um, yeah, depending on the person. Um, That speaks to kind of like maybe our next section, although. Um, and if anyone needs yeah. to go, yeah, feel free because I realize it's ten. Um, we'll try to fly through a few of our last points and interesting yeah. questions. But if anyone needs to go, um, yeah. don't hesitate. Yeah. yeah. But I think this idea of like when to seek help. Um, sometimes there are clear red flags which we can talk about, and then sometimes it can be hard to acknowledge we're going through a traumatic event if the trauma is still happening, right? And it's really not until we're in a place where we've kind of surfaced that we're able to say, yeah, that was really terrible, right? Because but in that moment, you're just trying to survive. You're just trying to get through, and that that's okay, right? And so I think that... Um, it may be that like terrible things are happening and you're you know and you're just kind of feeling like you have to survive it may not be necessarily the right time to seek therapy and i think to dean's point right like of people saying like oh i can deal with this on my own i think that therapy you know there are certain ways that we talk about things that maybe can hopefully help the person think through what is and isn't working for them but i don't think that therapy can just magically be like oh you have this problem and now you have all the motivation to to process it right so it can't Therapy in and of itself can't motivate us to seek help. And so sometimes it is an issue of time or enough feedback from other people. Or, you know, maybe sometimes it's getting fired from a job. Maybe sometimes it's, you know, a relationship failing that, you know, brings that person to a point where they're like, oh, yeah, what I thought was working might have worked in the past, but it isn't working for me right now. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's some, that's something that a person kind of needs to come to a conclusion about before they seek help. Um, so just a couple well, maybe we can run briefly over a couple of these points so one concern we can pick up week four too what's that I said we can pick up pick up yes at, exactly so maybe um, hmm. maybe we'll go over what what therapy can and cannot do okay yeah and then we can kind of cover a couple we have so much to talk about with this topic but it's hard so just really quickly I think there is a genuine concern sometimes Christians or people ask like in secular society are people making therapy like they're God and I think sometimes it can for people who aren't people of faith like it can have almost sort of like this like religious yeah Mm. sense of like this is what will truly help me and we also think that's 
not true, right? Like as mental health professionals and people who are Christians. So in terms of what therapy can and can't do for you as we see it, um, so it can help you relieve your symptoms. It can improve your mood. It can make you less anxious. Um, I do think with that, it could um, sort of remove barriers that might be getting between you and God. So for instance, like if your mood is so low that you can't go to church or read scripture or engage with other Christians, therapy can help you sort of free you up to spiritually engage with God. Or if you're so anxious that you can't read the Bible without ruminating and ruminating, that it can kind of free you up. Um, It can improve your relationships like with psychodynamic treatment like Stephanie was talking about. It can help make you more self-aware of what you're doing so you're not just acting out of reflex. So if I find myself yelling at my husband every day and not understanding why, right? Like, he probably wants me to go to therapy to, like, you know, <laughs> understand what, like, why are you doing that? Why do you keep acting, you know, sort of out of that reflex? Um, so some things that cannot do. So it cannot give meaning and purpose to your life. And, and I do think that some people who don't have a foundation of God can look to therapy for something that it can't give. Um, so, for instance, somebody who's experiencing depression might feel really bleak and hopeless about the future and feel purposeless. And therapy can help improve their mood. It can give a space for them to talk about what matters to you, what do you want your life to look like, reestablish goals. But it can't give someone an ultimate purpose for living, right, or an ultimate reason for existing and and motivation. And I think sometimes that's where... If you think of God first and therapy second, sometimes if that gets turned around, people can look to it for something that it that it can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it cannot, like Stephanie was saying, it cannot inherently give you motivation to work on yourself. So I think sometimes we maybe we think this is friends or family members, like, oh, so-and-so really needs to go to therapy. If they just went to a session, they would start to work on themselves. And not really. Like therapy is a tool for them to work on themselves if they have the motivation to do so. But just kind of getting someone to one therapy session, they may or may not be in a place where they feel ready to do that. Um, and I would say too, it cannot override the human conditions. Like we're speaking, like the human condition. It can't speaking to the chronicity of mental health. Like going to therapy can't remove our vulnerability and frailty as humans or our susceptibility to mental illness. And oftentimes we might go to therapy or take medication. And like you were saying with the Beautiful Mind movie, our mental health concerns might still be always lurking in the background. And that is part of our experience as people on this side of heaven, right? For, for many of us. And that doesn't mean that it's, not important because it's great that those things are in the background and, and not the foreground, but it's sometimes an unreasonable expectation of mental health treatment that it's going to take everything away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and I think just to maybe to add on to kind of therapy, because we've heard a lot of questions about like therapy versus like mm-hmm. Christian counseling or biblical counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, therapy, as we've been talking about, is kind of there, there are techniques around it that may not get at the existential piece mm-hmm. of why we struggle. What is the purpose of suffering? Do I matter? Um, and that might be where biblical counseling could be really helpful for, you know, what does the Bible say about our dignity and the purpose of life and that kind of a thing. And I think sometimes we put these in juxtaposition of, oh, is, is it biblical counseling or is it therapy? Um, 
And again, I think what we would say is that ideally it's the integration of both, that maybe both can come to weigh in on this specific issue. And that when a pastor or elder feels like, oh, you know, this is something that a trained mental health professional should be dealing with. It's not kind of this game of hot potato of like, oh, no, you're it, right? Like, no, you're <laughs> holding the bag. But it's really just kind of like adding another person into that link, that circle around them, um, expanding that so that they have more resources. And we actually asked, you know, the pastors what they think about biblical counseling versus therapy. And so they came up with some things that maybe like we hadn't even known how they think about <laughs> it. And so one is that um, biblical counseling, their hope, well, actually, and I think they have differing views on whether like what they pastoral do is counseling pastoral counseling or discipleship. discipleship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That maybe they, they might actually be hesitant to use the word counseling because that has such a specific connotation and liability to it. Um, but also that it's you know bringing prayer and God's word to bear on a situation in a way that is probably more targeted and uh, short term, and that if there that even things like grief, where the Bible has a lot to say about death and suffering and grieving, um, but but if it's complex or if it was particularly traumatic, right, that might be where adding in a mental health professional could be helpful. Um, and also, yeah, and so there's that piece of kind of what biblical counseling and therapy could look like, and then also kind of the logistics of it that it's biblical counseling or pastoral counseling mm-hmm. and discipleship is something that all the elders um, are privy to, so it's not confidential in the way that seeking mental health treatment is confidential. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, in an ideal world, right, there would be this integration of both. Um, but oftentimes people feel like they have to choose. Mm-hmm. So the, when we spoke with um, <laughs> Pastor Nick and Pastor Matt and Tom and the elders, so the general approach of our church is they are very, sounds like very comfortable making referrals to mental health professionals. Um, and their, the elders feel really conscious of not like overstepping their boundaries of competence. And so if there's anything that might involve a mental health diagnosis, they want to refer for that while also not withdrawing their own care and their own presence, but just adding in that mental health component. Um, And so maybe should we run over the whens really quick? Um, So just kind of a few things of when to seek out help. So if you are, I just say, if something is really, really bothering you to the point where it's always on your mind, it's hard to function as you used to function, you're not feeling like yourself, that is a really good indication that it's a good idea to get support. Um, so we consider kind of like the length something's been bothering you. Like if you're feeling bad for three days, but you felt fine before that, that might not be as much of a need for therapy as if you've been feeling bad for five years or five months, right? Um, if you're like, ah, oh, I think about this once in a while, but generally my life is fine <laughs> versus like, really, I'm thinking or experiencing this every single day. Um, definitely time to get support. So I I often think like if you feel like you need support, you probably do. And it's probably a a good idea to seek that out. Um, So um, I think we kind of covered that. Some red flags for 
when you should definitely, definitely not try to deal with something alone, either for yourself or for somebody else, um, is if there's any sort of risk of self-harm involved or suicidal thinking, um, that is not a time when we would ever want somebody to worry alone or worry by themselves. That's a really, can be a high risk situation. And so um, really ensuring that somebody can get help as quickly as possible if they're dealing with safety concerns is important. Um, eating disorders, those tend to have um, also a high risk of health um, health risk. Um, and so we think, you know, really important to get somebody into treatment right away dealing with an eating disorder. Psychosis, so if somebody's hearing voices, seeing things other people don't see or hear. Um, if somebody is... Um, has bipolar disorder, so they might be experiencing like days on end of not sleeping, behaving recklessly, acting way out of the ordinary. That's a good idea um, to seek help right away. OCD, um, just kind of a complicated, a more specialized treatment that's needed for that. Um, sometimes trauma treatment can just be very complex, and somebody needs a certain level of training to be able to deal well with that. Um, and this is all interwoven with like when there are safety concerns or things that might require more um, specialized forms of treatment. I think it also interplays a lot with like where does that treatment take place? Does it take place outpatient? Does it take place in a hospital where there's 24-7 nursing care? Is it somewhere in between where you're going multiple times a week um, to a partial hospitalization or into an outpatient program? But again, like these, you know, I think this is less about like telling you to triage on your own and more just kind of like, you know, this is kind of the spectrum of care that we have, that there's, you know, that therapy and medication help can look different across these different settings. And depending on where the person is, um, they may benefit from kind of more structure versus like being at home. Yeah. Well, maybe this is a good a good place to take questions, comments. Of course, if you need to go, that's totally fine. But yeah, Jessica. Kind of in response to what we were talking about earlier, with like why people don't get treatment. Hmm. I think sometimes it may be fine, but I think sometimes it's like realizing that like what I'm going through is enough to warrant. Hmm. Like you just went through some of the wind, and it's like, yeah. Oh, like I don't know. I think. a good point because we often so hear we often hear from so many people oh I didn't realize it's not normal to feel this way right Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that not everybody struggles with walking into a room and freaking out and not knowing who to talk to because it all seems like white noise right I didn't know Mm -hmm. that other people don't have to spend hours and hours you know getting out of bed and talking themselves through it, right? And so sometimes it's, you know, whether it's a close, you know, if a close friend or a spouse or a partner um, or a family member is kind of like, Do you, like, have you thought, you know, like, have you thought about therapy or have you thought about other supports? That's often helpful feedback. And that's also where, again, friends and family members 
can do things that like a therapist within a setting can't do, right? And so to not minimize the role that you know you as a non-professional would be able to do because sometimes people do need to hear from friends like, hey, it seems like you've really been struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, have you thought about getting help? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you get over to thinking of like um, your mess is too messy for anybody else to relate or understand? Mm-hmm. In a setting or like in, in a friend group setting, you know what I'm saying? Like how do, like, mm-hmm. how do you get over, like, learn to get over that? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I think sometimes we think, like, how could a therapist help me if they haven't been through this specific thing? And I think one thing to keep in mind, most therapists go into the field because they've been through something bad. (laughs) I feel like I almost know no one who went into the mental health field unless they had, like, a personal reason for doing so. But I think it's true, like, your therapist will not have your same experience, which has, I think, pros and cons in some ways. Like, maybe they don't have like as totally an understanding of exactly what you went through, but there might be a degree, if they're curious and respectful, there might be a degree of objectivity that them not having had the same experience could in some ways be helpful. But you've got to make sure like that they can understand you enough that you feel comfortable. Um, yeah, Carolyn. I was just going to say, I think also it's sometimes helpful with those like worries of like, is this too much particularly like for my friends or my family or is this like too messy or I don't want to burden which are all things you can work out in therapy but um, I think to have someone you're like oh this is their job (laughs) 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 this is a service whether I'm paying or my insurance is paying them and I think there's power in just like speaking things aloud to another human even if that human doesn't necessarily have been experiencing the same thing to like have someone who's like outside of this like of your life that like in some ways I like don't have to necessarily worry about the other person's emotions or what they're hearing because they kind of signed up for this Ideally, that would, that's also true of family and friends, but I think sometimes when that's, like, my worry, it's, like, nice to, like, take the first step mm-hmm. with my mm-hmm. therapist, which then, like, helps me be more open with people mm-hmm. for whom, like, mm-hmm. I am closer to or just have more information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say, too, like, sometimes when somebody has not had your experience, they can actually be more empathetic. So, like, let's say you've gone through a certain difficult thing in life, and you're around someone who's gone through the same difficult thing, their response might be like, okay, you know, it's normal, you know, kind of type thing. But if somebody has not experienced that, they might be like, oh, wow, that is a lot. And that actually might be a more healing response than somebody who's, like, been there, you know. <laughs> like, obviously, hopefully a friend doesn't do that. But so there was a question in the back. Actually, it's a common uh, advice. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I can talk to you I'm in this, this is your talk, obviously. I don't want to go into But one advice I would recommend is that fellowship. Uh, to get together with friends mm-hmm. and fellowship together, and mm-hmm. especially Christian friends, uh, is that you know mm-hmm. you talk to people some of your age, your background, who have similar uh, 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 thought patterns as you, and then you open up. And when you open up, things get better. Mm-hmm. And God kind of like you know looks into you, heals you when you open up. Mm-hmm. You keep it inside; it just smothers and just kind of like you know you. you mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think the community aspect is very important, um, and again, something that therapy in and of itself can't provide, and that's what we'll talk about not next week, but the following week. Of, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, good. I, I just want to think back on the other thing about this is that um, uh, community is very important, and, mm-hmm. and working with peers, people who are struggling with the same thing, and um, having that in the church would be amazing. church being a place that should be a place of like you know mm-hmm. where we come with our broken us and seek healing together and mm-hmm. are vulnerable and, and, and yeah not, there, so there's no stigma i mean it's very easy to feel the stigma mm-hmm. in the church and mm-hmm. actually, but um have that kind of community I think, yeah, and that's that's a great segue. I think we're so we're taking a break next week, but the last week we'll talk about you know how can we, huh? Extension. Yeah, yeah. We're I'm out of town next week, so we're we're on pause, and then we'll be our uh, resuming, or I guess resuming and ending our final week will be I guess that's the uh, Memorial Day weekend, um, the following the twenty yes, good twenty seventh or twenty eighth, something whatever that weekend is, the last weekend of May. Um, but I think very much to your point of like, how can the church as mm-hmm. be a community for those who are struggling? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so bring your ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, specifically within church mm-hmm. is what we're thinking within this church, within Christian Churches communities. In general, yep. Yeah. How can we better support one another mm-hmm. um, yeah. in struggling with mental health? Yeah. Are all of these on the website? Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, I believe the first two are currently already on the website. In fact, I know they are. And then this one should be uploaded in a few days, I would imagine. Oh, cool. Oh, YouTube. Okay. And, then, yeah. and they're okay. on the church podcast, too. I to say, even though I would call this, like, community, small group, but I think that this is wonderful, and kudos to you, too. <laughs> I've been in the church all my life. I've never heard of this issue addressed. I know it's, you know, not specific to a specific psychiatric issue, which is unfeasible, but um, just to talk about things mm-hmm. your biblical perspective, very much appreciated. Oh, yeah. well, thank you. Thank you. Much thank you. It's, yeah. So thank you for helping us yeah. We'll, thank you for your comments and yeah. participation. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Yeah. If anyone has other questions, we can hang around. Did yeah. you have a question or a comment? I didn't have a question. I, I just kind of wanted to go back to what you said. How can someone understand my mess or whatever? You know, how are they? And I went to Christian counseling here after going through something here. And that counselor was like, oh, I mean, he was as you said, so empathetic. Hmm. What a horrible thing to have gone through. Hmm. And just, I was like, thank you. <laughs> and, uh-huh. I, and I guess the other thing about Christian aspect is they pray with you. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like a Christian therapist. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. For sure, yeah. And that's a good thing to know because if you go to a non-Christian therapist, they probably, well, yeah, I can't imagine what they would want to investigate. So if that's what you're looking for, 100%, you can look for a crush on with that. And, yeah. and not because, like, they don't, because they're, like, heathens. So they, think, but yeah. what, <laughs> they might they not know. Just, but but more pray. that they're, like, mindful of, like, the power dynamics and what is it like to invite someone into prayer. And is that something you feel comfortable with or you feel like, obligated by it? You know, so just, it gets a little sticky. It's just something that I personally like. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Any other, yeah, questions or? Is this like a group also to like test something that can possibly like continue later on down or become a different form of a small group within hmm. that has open discussion about hmm. issues and traumas that we face outside of church and within church? Hmm. It's, a, it's a good question. I don't think we've thought about it, but. I, th um, I think our hope is still to mm -hmm. try to figure out within the church like what can be an ongoing support. I don't think we figured it out, but we're open mm -hmm. to ideas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so approach yeah. the elders if you have any. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What we can and can't do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether other churches are promoted. I don't go to this church, but I think the pastoral staff, the elders, it would be good in any like, who's one of the elders, and I think he said Pastor Matt has some referrals for therapists. I imagine Pastor Nick would too. Um, so if you go to one of the elders, I'm sure that they can get you connected with mm -hmm. the list mm -hmm. of yeah, yeah. Who, who's in the community. The hard part is in New Haven, in Connecticut, there's, not, there's just not a lot of Christian therapists, unfortunately. Um, so we hope there's more, you know, if you know anyone. <laughs> yeah. uh, have a, you can add to the database. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I do know that they have referrals, people that they refer to. So, yeah. Well, thank you all so much. Yeah, we'll hang around if anyone has any. Yeah, then you want to share your comments. But thank you so much. For, we'll see you in two.